Everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast brought to you by HypeBot.com. As always, huge shout out, lots of love to Bruce Thank and everybody you, Bruce. over at HypeBot.com for what you do to support the show. And totally encourage everybody, check HypeBot daily. Great articles, great, great insight as to what's going on in the music business. Um, so, Jay, we have a special guest joining us today. We do. And, you know, after you've checked out uh, HypeBot, we've got another place for you to go. I- I'm pleased to... Uh, to announce uh, uh, or intro David Turner. He's joining us today uh, via audio. Um, I've been reading um, David's work online for for quite some time, and I find it really, really insightful. Um, He writes a blog called Penny Fractions that you should definitely check out, um, primarily about this new music business and streaming. Um, And he's a a fantastic writer and has written for all the top publications. Um, David, welcome to our, our show. I'm going to say, I'm happy to be on. Thank you. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. You you know, David, I, I first came aware of you. I think I'd read an article that you had written and I reached out to you and, and you were, you had kind of corresponded back and forth and had a couple of phone conversations. And I really enjoy, uh, the way that you write and the things that you write about, and I think they're so crucial for the music business right now. That's why I mentioned, you know, to the people who watch and listen to the show, you really got to check out Penny Fractions because it goes a little bit deeper uh, than most of the headlines that you uh, see. Um, how in the heck did you get into writing about streaming and the, this new music business? Uh, that's a good question. So I got really started about around this time last year. So. There were a couple stories last year that sort of like really piqued my interest. My background is that I like came from doing a lot of music criticism and writing a lot of music reviews. That's sort of where I got started. But last year there ended up being a really like interesting, I guess, interesting controversy around Spotify and this like issue of essentially like fake artists and then like putting these artists that no one could find or have any information about on their playlist. And I thought that was like super interesting. And as I like started like researching and, t- and working on that story, I was sort of like, hmm, this is like a really I, I kept asking questions and people didn't have good answers for the for me. I would ask like, so like, how many like do you know like all your streaming information? Do you know all this other kind of stuff? And I talked to people from labels, distributors, other all different parts of the industry, and people had varying answers because, as you guys both know, transparency and and da- of data of a lot of the stuff is still just sort of inching along, despite this essentially being how the the biz is trying to move forward. And I just sort of thought that was interesting and a bit frustrating from a journalistic side of asking questions and essentially receiving non-answers and <laughs> so i just sort of kept that in the back of my mind and then later in the year there ended up being this very amusing controversy around the, the artist post malone who piled a song Rockstar on youtube and it had like a 30 second like loop that ended up counting towards the billboard charts and there ended up being a little bit of controversy around that and once sort of that sort of blew up i was just like i need to start doing a newsletter because I ended up starting Penny Fractions because I was, like, emailing, texting, DMing, and just, like, talking to people about all this stuff. And it was sort of like, okay, instead of me, like, shooting off 20 different combos, let me just try to, con- like, like whittle down and get this concise to one. And just told people, hey, here's my newsletter. Sign up just so I don't have to keep seeing, like, 15 people in different emails. And, like, so far it's been, like, pretty fun at- as an exercise. <laughs> so, so D- David, let, you know... Let me ask straight up. 
Does, yeah. stream, does streaming get a bad reputation? Uh, I want to say yes and no. I feel like one of the things that I've learned, especially in the last year, is that for certain artists and for certain kinds of people, streaming can work work really, really well. Usually for people who I find are slightly more, I don't want to say like savvy, but have a good understanding of the industry. They know what kind of deals to sign. They know what kind of people to work with. They know they have good managed expectations of what they want out of music. And I find those people find have a slightly less issues with streaming overall because it's sort of like they come into it understanding that, hey, what I'm getting into is borderline hot. It's like, borderline between being a hobby and borderline between being a real full professional interest and for those kind of people streaming and they're just sort of being a nice extra like source of revenue that they can do to continue making music or continue to sort of go along that path what i usually seem to hear from people which i find is still reasonable is that there's still a sort of a sense that like the people at the top i.e the streaming companies be it spotify apple youtube whatever are still sort of raking in a lot of the money where it's still not trickling down to artists and I think a lot of that, a lot of that on like the major label side has to do with a lot of the contracts and, and how those people end up getting their deals, where the artists are not the ones getting getting as much money. But then I find on the independent side that a lot of it has to do with the fact that streaming just as a model isn't super efficient for a lot of labels that came up selling records, selling CDs, and it's sort of like they're having to actually change their entire business model to one that is not quite as advantageous and is one that they are quite quite a adept or built for which is a perfectly sort of reasonable sort of like business outcome to sort of like deal with something that's all of a sudden changing on your feet and not feeling like you're given all the right tools and all the all the right options yeah so, well put so is, is it is it fair to say that maybe the big the big problem with streaming is is as exciting as it is that it's new and it's and it's changing and it's there there's just things happening every day that nobody anticipated that is also the problem with this nobody's been able to anticipate any of this and 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 that people tend to overreact to things that are brand new that are unforeseen that that are outside of the traditional model that some of these labels and bands and management have have grown up over the last decades being accustomed to that this is new and, you know, change does not sit well with some people. Not at all. No, yeah, no, it doesn't. It also just sort of that, like, as is very real, it's like the economic just sort of sense that, like, you have to sort of change a lot of what, like, sort of, un, like, sort of, like, as you're, like, re, like, re, like re, re-carpeting a, a house or something. It's like, that's not, that's sort of a foundational thing that is changing right under your feet. And that's not really easy to, to sort of reconcile with. And especially where you're like, I was making X and now I'm making Y. And it's sort of like, I don't know how long I can keep doing this. If I'm only making why. And then I realize it's like, and then it's just sort of that there's a lot of, I mean, I think you're right. There's a newness factor. And I think the newness and the constantly changing things, stuff like Spotify announcing their like hate speech policy, where they like announce a whole new policy. And then within like a month, completely retracted and just sort of act like it never happened. That's yeah. not like the most fun thing to kind of deal with whenever, when, when, when these players have so much power and all of a sudden they just sort of like make changes and make sort of like decisions sort of like seemingly at will or without like consulting everyone or like maybe they did consult like Spotify and then just did consult internal and external sources about, about that policy and still went ahead with it even though they were being told it was not the best idea going forward. You know, David, one of the things that I appreciate about your writing um, one of the things, the main thing I think, is that it's it's written from a human point of view. You're you're not just taking 
what the headlines are online and just kind of regurgitating, you kind of have your own uh, opinion about these things and your own take on these things. And that kind of leads me to ask, you know, what are ways that you see that people are, you know, gaming the system and, and if not maybe overtly gaming the system, but kind of using certain things to their advantage to either rise above the crowd or to get featured in playlists or to get more YouTube spins. What are some of the tactics that you're seeing? Oh, that's a good question. That's a good question. It really varies by platform, like SoundCloud. SoundCloud, there's like a whole different, there's a whole like almost like sub economy that I, I feel like it's like so, it's kind of like slowly died out recently, but it's like on SoundCloud, there used to be a big thing of repost trading where people would post a song and then they'd ask other people to repost it for them and in one respect if it's like one-to-one -one, if it's like you ask your friend to repost a song then you ask and then they in turn ask you to do the same that's not a really big deal well how it ends up how it ended up manifesting itself would be that artist with like hundreds of thousands of followers would then go to like five artists with like fifty thousand followers and it'd be like hey i have 250 i'll repost all your songs if you five repost mine and that ends up sort of like creating like his own sort of like loop where if you go on soundcloud it'd be like well why all of a sudden like all the acts i follow reposting each other's stuff all the time and it's certainly getting them more promotion and helping with that but it feels a bit inorganic and it feels a bit gamed and, and as a user it can kind of sort of make soundcloud in one respect a little bit like less useful as a platform of music discovery and those and those kind of issues are uh, like crop up amongst different platforms like YouTube, one that's that's about YouTube that I always think about is like the recommendations, where like the sidebar recommendations is like yeah. how most people get to the next video they're mm -hmm. going to watch. Yeah. And obviously, and I never read or seen any report that people have the ability to actually manipulate what comes up next or any of those kind of like YouTube's actual algorithm. But it is something to sort of consider where if you're an artist and you only put out like one or two videos within like an album cycle. Though, compared to artists who are just constantly putting out videos, it's like your videos are going to probably get lost in the shuffle. And it's not that you aren't making good content or people aren't entertaining your content, but just the way that YouTube's entire system works is just not one that is aligned with how you're trying to release music. And I think a lot of stuff ends up working like that, where it's like these each of these different platforms, each of these different systems have their own ways of working and their own sort of advantages and disadvantages, and people are still just understanding those and then other things are like they're always constantly changing like instagram's like like yesterday instagram just announced igtv which right. is like their big new like long form like video app that's sort of like to try to like go after like youtubers and i will be interested to see how that sort of works in relation to music because instagram in this context of rap music is like essentially where like all rappers preview music that's where a lot of stuff happens and rap happens on instagram right. and i'm sort of interested to see if like if igtv takes even more of a role in music or if it's like a thing that like, well, actually, no one actually wants to watch a 35 minute video on Instagram. That might also end up being the case. So those are the kind of things. And so like you were saying earlier about there always being new and constant change is that like all the platforms are especially in terms of like social media the one, and how they end up being used for music, like are constantly changing. And it's sometimes hard to like have strategies and have idea and have like content, like content plans when the platform you're going to use changes from if you have a plan that's supposed to be six months out, if the platform changes four months in, you're like, ah, what am I supposed to do at this point? Yeah. You know, it's, isn't, isn't a lot of that due to the fact that many of these, not many, probably all of these platforms really at the end of the day don't entirely know how the platform is going to end up being used by the end mm -hmm. user. 
So they can't anticipate somebody, quote, gaming the system, taking advantage of, of a feature or something like that, because that was never in their vision when they roadmapped their website or their app. And it's only when it starts trickling up that they become aware that this got gamed. And then that forces the hand of all of these sites and apps to quickly make changes to try and bring the playing field back down again level. So it's, it's sort of like a whack-a-mole yeah. game. I mean, to, to your point about IGTV, I'm waiting to find out within the next week who finds the first way to game IGTV because they mm-hmm. found something that IGTV didn't anticipate somebody doing. Right. And that's from the beginning, right, Michael? I mean, remember a couple of years ago there was a big – a story in Billboard from Glenn Peoples about how people were finding out who owned those user-curated playlists, getting them you know, paid as a consultant and getting their music in, kind of gaming the system that way. And then Spotify kind of pushed some of those user-curated playlists back a little bit. And then you heard about these fan clubs that would have the fans you know, make a playlist of one track a hundred times and just play that over and over and over at low volume volume and that jacked some things up for a while and then the dsps kind of went well wait a second if you get that many spins that quickly from one ip address and then the thing i was noticing lately and you mentioned this on soundcloud is i noticed that one of my artists you know just got an amazing number of soundcloud followers and you know and like in one week mm-hmm. and then i started looking at facebook twitter instagram and sure enough you see these big spikes and they were basically going out and buying these you know followers and the problem with that is anybody who's savvy at all whether it's a record company or you know a writer <laughs> for a publication yeah they're going to look at the data and go well that doesn't look organic right yeah i mean that's like one of the things that's like i personally love spotting that kind of stuff because it's usually like i remember like an a and r was, t- was talking about that like for like a particular record where they were just like look at the numbers on all the platforms and if there's <laughs> one platform there's an outlier that maybe that's sort of a red flag it could also be one of the things that always some artists some artists and some platforms like interact very differently i remember like looking at those a particular rapper i remember like looking at their like breakdown and they just like overperformed a, well on apple music like they were like three or like three or four to one on apple music versus spotify which is like if you think of like the overall user bases would be a really dramatic like over over like overperformance on apple but like that's sometimes how that works but unless you can really get behind the numbers and look at it you might not be able to notice that from like notice that from afar and yeah i think but i think to go back to sort of like the fact that like these are gameable but like the platforms don't and don't know that until it actually is live and out in the world that's i guess something that like i feel like i've written about and that i like enjoy is that like when there's a new platform this will happen but the right. other part of me is sort of like once i noticed it i always sort of assumed that like the people that actually made it should have been able to notice that within like hours or within days of it happening like maybe i, like I should be like the last line of defense to well notice, but, but like, you, a weird maybe trend. you know david david to that point i've said this so many times and i've worked in development environments before i tend to feel like the people who create these programs and these apps don't actually real world use them they put them mm-hmm. through a Q&A process, but Q&A process is not the same as real world. Real world using it like an artist, like a fan, like a customer. And 
and they, they, they tend to build these things to show they can build these things. Yeah. And, 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 and to me, that's what's missing is while you're building it, you actually need to not just check for bugs, but you need to actually check for the usability. And, oh, my God, I just found this little way that I can trick something or open up a back door. It's not a bug. But it's you didn't. It, it's an undocumented <laughs> feature that you didn't know you created, or you just didn't realize that the feature you created actually can be used in a different way. That's and it's yeah, and it's so funny, Michael, because this has been in the music business since day one, right? There's mm-hmm. always been ways of, you know. Uh, payola or i remember when i was working at tower records you know back in the day and you know it was before SoundScan. so the labels would call us up at our each individual store and say okay now this week we want this record in the top 20 we want this one in the top five and this one in the top three and we're going for number ones on this now they're not paying you money and they're just telling you because back then you didn't want to debut at number one that would kill your record. It had to kind of have a the little The only way to go is yeah. down. <laughs> exactly. And it was really funny to me that our particular Tower Record store would never fudge our charts. We wrote down exactly what sold on the singles and on the full length every week. But what would happen is they would ask for you know Whitney Houston to be number one that week. Well, guess what? It was number one that week, and then we get showered you know with gifts and things you know in in the mail, and it was just a funny way. But I guess that comes back to the music business has always tried to find a way to kind of game the system. Yeah. Whether it's the fans or it's the labels, and, and I think that's kind of what you're shining a light on, David, right? Yeah, I think gaming the system. I almost more in fact, I think uh, I was talking to someone about this. I think last year, but a lot of it's just marketing. It's like the what you're describing there of the like of concern about hitting too early at number one. It's just like you have a marketing strategy that you want to like execute and, and have happen, and if you peak too early, you can't really have a buildup, then you can't sort of try to sustain them. Like, there's a whole lot of things that are lost in that kind of way. And that's how I do think of a lot of these things is that like, oh, this is just kind of marketing. A lot of the stuff that kids do on SoundCloud with their like trade repos or sell that, it's just like, that's just a market. It's just marketing. Right. It's not under the, under the name of marketing. And also just because of the way that the systems work where actual plays are the in like the end goals plays, you want more plays on your music. You aren't trying to sell a rec. You, a lot of artists, a lot of these artists, definitely not, a lot of these artists now, or in the pop and rap world, aren't even trying to really sell records. It's just like more streams, more streams, more streams. And yeah. if you're gaming that, then it's sort of like a direct sort of one to one in a way where like maybe slightly fudging those numbers or trying to like push more people to be to get more interested in a record. It's just like a slightly different thing. Still kind of yeah. in the same realm, but sort of a slightly different process for that. Yeah, we used to say it's not fraud; it's marketing. exactly but you know i get it you know why people want to do these things but you know you you have to have a real audience and i I get that perception is reality you know sometimes but like we said you know people like you are going to know pretty quickly if that audience is real and and if it's not you know we've all seen the stories about you know, title and some of their numbers may or may not have been correct, you know, some of their streaming numbers and, you know, but that's kind of like in this new political landscape, sometimes people just bark out info and it is because we say it is, so to speak. Are you finding that now that people are paying a little bit closer attention that things are improving? 
Um, I mean, in light of, I mean, I guess uh, maybe a little bit. I think it's just that because they've just sort of been slightly, I think it's improving on, on one end where these streaming services, like, so Spotify has their, like, artist app. It, like, Apple Music just sort of, like, I think is, like, in the beta for their, the right. they're doing right now. Yep. And That's so right. they're, like, becoming a little bit more open and, make, and being less opaque about releasing this information. And so I think that is good. And then places like YouTube always have, like, their play counts sort of public. Same with the same with Spotify. And so I think there's, like, a slight bit more transparency. And as more people have to interface with this side of the biz, there will be more a more desire for transparency in that and more transparency in all that data. And I think yeah. that'll end up being useful for keeping track of things like title. Because, like, title, I remember I've just been asked, like, I, like I wrote a story for Gizmodo that went up yesterday that was about title. And one of the things that I ended up, while like reporting that was like trying to ask people like, what are your title numbers? Like trying to like, even if just sort of like on background, I could like get some information about that. And it was just like painfully hard to get people to like get real hard information about some of those services. Like even when I look at like Nielsen numbers, like Nielsen title would not be one of the ones that broke down on the Nielsen chart on like Nielsen. And I'm just like, I just want to know how many streams happen from this platform. This should not, yeah. I shouldn't feel like I'm like going on an expedition just to find out a few simple numbers. And it still kind of feels that way, even mm -hmm. though it's certainly getting a bit better. And it feels like the eventually people are just going to be like, we have to know all this stuff. You can't be, there can't be any like cloak and there can't be any hiding from this stuff. Anymore. Yeah. And it's okay to not have huge numbers. There's an article that came out from Napster CEO this week where he's like, you know, we're okay with the scraps. Um, that's still a viable business. Not everybody's going to be Spotify, Apple Music, and YouTube. You know, there is some dignity to saying, okay, we can compete on marketing or we can compete on just, you know, taking care of our customers. But, you know, there it's better to have more streaming services, not less. But I, it sounds like they're kind of proud of, you know, being where they're at. You know, whereas Tidal, there's a little, you know, still kind of smoke and mirrors there uh, w with that company. So it's going to be interesting to kind of see, you know, going forward, if we get more uh, transparency, like YouTube for artists, you know, which is yep. really great. And that's rolling out. Apple Music for artists, as you mentioned, is in beta, but it's rolling out pretty quickly. Um, and of course, you know, Spotify for artists. There are a few things in there. And I think you and I, David, have mentioned this uh, before. And that is like when you look at your Spotify numbers on Spotify, and let's say there's a million streams of your song. But then when you look at the financials or look at your statement, there's only 500,000, you know, and that's because, you know, they count a stream as one second or more, you know, on Spotify, but on your financials, you're only paid when it's over 30 seconds of that. So you can kind of get a sense of what your skip rate is, but you can also kind of get a sense of, you know, what the real numbers are in these streaming services, you know, just because they have X amount of streams, you need to dig a little deeper. And are those streams one second? Are they 30 second? Are they full? You know, I'd like to learn more about two things. One, skip rates and be kind of, you know, the source of stream. And I know you get some of that in Spotify for artists, but are you finding that you can get some of those types of uh, data points in your research? Oh my gosh, not, I mean, that's the, that's the thing, like, for me, so, like, when I, like, reach out to people, simply I have to ask, me, like, do you have the Spotify for artists, do you have the app, like, do you have the, the Apple Music, so, like, they're, 
that's essentially like the main ways I can find it just through apps asking people to work at labels to figure out that kind of the same kind of tool that you I'm sure have seen and used. And so sure. I mean, one other that I guess like what I end up usually doing is I guess something a bit more in aggregate where I can sort of go like, okay, if this is what they're doing on Spotify and this is how their plays are coming from Spotify, and then this is how they're doing on Apple, this is where plays are coming from Apple, and then if there's like YouTube, then I can sort of like one thing I like about YouTube is that you can actually go by like city and by country, which they just formalized this process, but it used right. to, it YouTube was something artists. they have, but they formalized it more recently. But like you can just go in by city and by country, like by country and go, for, or like I'm from North Carolina, I can go into random, like Greensboro, North Carolina, see like what are the top 20 songs being played on YouTube in Greensboro, North Carolina the last three days. And that's the kind of information that like is really, was previously kind of obtuse to get to, but it was always super interesting and super helpful just in terms of like figuring out the popularity of things. And also one thing that was useful for me was to sort of like correlate YouTube and radio. Cause if I listen to the radio station, I can see like what songs are being driven. Like what songs are the, is the radio station playing because the radio station is getting it from a record label or like one programmer found it. And then you, people are going to YouTube to search for it. Or maybe it's reverse where people are on YouTube in this area searching for it. Radio programmer notices and then starts sort of playing it. And that's the kind of stuff that I like. How do you do that? Are you looking at um, are you looking at media base? I mean, how how do you look at airplay? Oh, airplay. Oh, well, I think mean, yeah, media base. Sorry, I guess like for for radio, just like for a couple sta- like for some stations, I just like knew some of the programmers, so I just like just gotcha. reach out. So do you ever look was, at things yeah. like um, that are kind of maybe off to the side a little bit to see what kind of numbers and how they correlate, like maybe shazam and see if you know what tracks are being shazammed or bands in town trackers or any of those kind of data points or is it pretty much just the dsps no all those data points as well those are definitely very useful shazam is like i find one of my my favorite ones to sort of do a lot of this stuff especially because is shazam i really like on like a personal level i like shazam just because i like shazam songs all the time because i'm one of the people that like I'll hear a song and then I cannot place it. And I can spend 15 minutes like wondering if I actually have the right song that I just like can't ever get it. So I love Shazam for that reason. But yeah, Shazam is great for that too. I guess the one reason I kind of like YouTube, I like YouTube. I like, I kind of like YouTube, especially when it gets to like city specifically, just because with Shazam, there's a sense that like the person might not know the song and that's why they're Shazam it, obviously. But with mm-hmm. YouTube, if they're searching for it and playing it, then they have to have some familiarity with it in a yeah. sense of they are already sort of interested in it. And though that like always is like a slight like next step to me of being like, okay, if this song is doing really well on YouTube in this city, then I at least know that this artist is gaining some traction where Shazam could sort of just be that like people are just hearing this, they just don't know what it is, but it doesn't equate to like, oh, there are fans there. It gotcha. It's like, oh, we don't know what this is. I want to know. But it doesn't next step mean, oh, there's a big fan base there. There's still a few more like data points to sort of get to before you're like, oh, yeah, there are people that have genuine interest there. David, when it comes to all this data, um, is the problem sort of the fact that there just is no standardized data, standardized reporting, standardized metrics across the board? Because if you look at the history of the music industry, I mean, it feels like, standardizing is not necessarily something they're in favor of. Everybody wanted to come out with their own new format to replace MP3s and they wanted to have their own online stores and you know and 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 why I bring this up is 
in the podcasting world, I get this all the time as well. That's my big battle is people are like, how yeah. many, how, how popular is your podcast? Well, let's see. You know, this, this service measures it in this way, and this service measures it in this way. And, oh, as we all know, oh, a, pl- a video play on Facebook is only th- three seconds versus what YouTube counts it as. Wouldn't, is, is that the part of the big challenge here is we've got all these great sources of data coming at us, but it's really hard to overlay them and match them up because, you know, they don't want to adopt somebody else's metric standards because it's sort of like, I don't know, I'm giving in to them and I'm saying they're, they're better than us. I want them to adopt our standards. I, I feel that frustration constantly. Yeah, I mean, that's something that would be sort of very interesting to think. So, like, go to go back to the sort of one second versus 30 second point. If the num, like, sort of, if we were to say that, like, the only numbers that ever sort of counted for Billboard were 30 seconds, so like, we only going to count the one thing for 30 seconds, or if, like, across the board, like, everyone's like, we're only reporting numbers or even displaying numbers if you have 30 more than 30 seconds on a play. All of a sudden, the numbers would start going down. Right, but it would be far more uh, would be far more representative of actual like interest, and It'd that be accurate. That it would it would be much more accurate, but it wouldn't be as beneficial for your marketing plan. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it, do you, do you think we will ever get to the point where we can see better standardization of data across all these platforms? Um, I want to say yes, just <laughs> by sheer force of people wanting it to eventually happen, that there'll just be enough drive that'll, like, sort of, like, for- force all these different players to make this happen. And also because there's still competition in the space, because there's still Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon, you, I mean, SoundCloud, you mentioned Napster, there are all these different forces still in the market. And I'm often very critical to say that all these different DSPs don't do a lot of stuff at least on the user interface, on the user side, that I find genuinely, like, very interesting. Also, I am a particular hardcore music listener. But I do think having all these different players will force more competition and more openness in these spaces, where it's like, if Spotify didn't have Spotify for artists, would Apple have any impetus to do their own? Probably not. Right. So them having these, them pushing each other will sort of help progress this, hopefully, as time goes on. I, 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 I hope so. I mean, part of me sometimes wonders if the artists themselves don't really care because so many artists don't really dig into it. It's people like us who work with the artists who, you know, when they want to know the data, it has to come from us. And, you know, we can spend we can spend a week trying to pull together a report because it's just countless sources and countless different metrics that just make it so difficult so david what are you what are you working on now um do you have any uh pieces you can kind of tease that you're uh starting to do research for that you're working on oh so i just wrote a very long piece that went up yesterday that was about title and sort of the history of title and a lot of the issues that that were there those that's on this model right now so that one i did a lot of time that was like I'll be out. So I will be honest and say, like, that one took a lot of my time. I already yeah. am looking forward to the 4th of July holiday. <laughs> so I, if, if you can sort of tell, like, how my sort of train of thought is going. But in terms of other pieces and stuff that I'm sort of working on, like, um, 
generally right now, I've been sort of interested in the topic of album windowing. Because so Jay-Z and Beyonce put out their album all, all over the weekend. That was a title exclusive for like 36 hours that it arrived yeah. on the other DSPs. But yeah. people noticed it was only available on the premium side of Spotify, not on the for free side. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've noticed as a small, that's been a thing that's been talked about for years is sort of the idea of only having albums in, in, on, on the paid tiers instead of on the free side. Right. And it's something that like I kind of been expecting all year to start seeing more of. I don't, I couldn't remember. Like there are a couple albums earlier this year I've, pegging it to that never end up materializing in that way but it happened with the jay-z and the beyonce and so i'm probably going to start looking a little bit more into that to see like what it might look like if more artists and labels start trying to like like tear off their albums and how that might affect promotion and all and all sorts of things around that and recently i've been really there's a personal tangent i've been really wanting to look more into pandora I just feel like I never write enough about Pandora, or think enough about Pandora. Obviously, it's a smaller player in some of these markets, but like it's just something I've sort of been thinking a lot about recently. Yeah, I think it it's definitely something that I watch pretty carefully, and I think it's super important. And they have some audiences there uh, for certain genres that are actually, you know, huge. One of the things I would love to see you kind of dig into as you're talking about windowing is kind of the strategy around this new music business. We don't have to put out an album every 1.2 years and a, mm-hmm. you know that sort of thing. I see artists that are doing primarily kind of double singles and I see a lot of EPs and you know I see a little bit less of just dropping an album but doing more in between and I'd love to you know find out who's having success and who's not and you know kind of where that's going because we it's a whole new music business now yeah i actually wrote a whole thing about that earlier this year and i spoke to a number of people about that and i have no idea why i never published i might have just gotten caught caught up in some other things but i definitely like wrote a thing about that exact topic but i just never ended like coming out to finish it so that's a good reminder that i should go back to that and then the other thing that like i have nothing coming on this anytime like immediately but i'm all just keeping my eye on apple uh, not apple but i'm amazon amazon's role in the music space i just feel like they're very they're always like creeping up and only going to become ever bigger in the in the world of music and so i just like always want to sort of keep my eye on what's ever happening there early this year i I spoke to someone at a label who had a very big song that was doing really well on amazon and it was just sort of like really it was like a great it was like great success for them it was like doing really well but it was also like on for the person i was talking to on the digital side was sort of a bit like yeah, we didn't really do a, they didn't like do a lot to sort of do promotion or marketing of it. It's just like the audience of Amazon Music having to connect with that song, and was sort of like they're trying to start figuring out ways to try to start formalizing the, that kind of thing. Great. Well, David, where where can people find you? You know, where can they find Penny Fractions if they want to read that and sign up for it? And where can they find you on the web if they want to dig in a little deeper? Yeah. So. You can find Penny Fractions at, it's called, it's just called, I mean, the best thing to do is just type in, like, go into Google and search Penny Fractions newsletter. It was formerly a tiny letter, and I've since moved it to this site called, like, Re- like Review, which is R-E-V-U-E. You can search that with Penny Fractions. If you sign up for the, the tiny letter, I'll just move you over to the updated, to the updated one that is also fine. You can also find me at davidturner.work, which is, like, my website, where it just has a bunch of links to my stuff. You can find, like, like past articles I've written and all that kind of stuff. And then if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm underscore David Turner underscore. I don't really tweet almost ever now because I just 
kind of don't like tweeting a lot. But if you just want to, if you just want to click add a follow, you can do that. I like I said, I don't really, I only really tweet to say I wrote an article or to subscribe to my newsletter like once a week. So don't come expecting a lot of content there. Awesome. awesome. David, thanks for taking Thank the time you. out of your day to talk with us. Fascinating stuff. We hope we can uh, chat again soon. I want to say thank you very much for having me on. I really enjoyed this. Take All care, right, David. David. Take care, man. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Such a great conversation. Uh, you know, it's always great getting somebody else's take on the streaming world. Yeah. Um, especially when it comes to, you know, looking at the data and analyzing the data and trying to make heads and tail heads or tails out of what, what you're seeing. Yeah, and you got to read, you know, for those who haven't read his his blog, I mean, I always put it aside to when I have time because it's extensive. He doesn't yes. just write a couple of paragraphs. He writes, and I know these days people don't have the time and the patience to actually read, um, but it's definitely well worth it. And uh, I've had a couple of phone calls with him where we talk about, you know, where some of this stuff is going and what's going on. And he's very curious and, uh, you know, keep watching his, uh, his blog. Um, I think, uh, I think you'll learn a lot. Yeah, definitely. For sure. All right, everybody. Another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. Head over to Hypebot, show them some love, and we'll see you guys next week.